Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we're going to be updating the current standings in the playoff rounds that are currently ongoing, some of which are actually occurring right now. We have a couple of games that have concluded and one that is currently in progress with one to be played in just about 25 or so minutes. First up on the docket is Tampa Bay versus Columbus, and Columbus kind of needed to win this game because this is a a series-defining moment between two teams that have really pushed each other over the last couple of seasons. Last year, Columbus swept Tampa Bay 4-0 in the first round of the postseason, and Tampa Bay, of course, had that really funny, meme apology to fans. After John Tortorella just seemed to have their number through their neutral zone uh, transition between the defensive and offensive zones. Kind of a funny story because I feel like you look at Columbus's roster and there's not a whole lot there that screams high-end defensive and offensive talent, but what they have, they make work. They have a couple of really talented skaters like Oliver Bjorkstrand. Uh, Alexander Venberg is okay sometimes. Pierre-Luc Dubois on his top end of his game is really elite. Jones and Warinsky can both contribute offensively, although I, I don't think that they are quite as defensively stout as people have made them out to be. And they have some underrated players like David Savard and Ryan Murray. So all in all, it's a pretty okay roster, but I think in this series, you've seen just how far Tampa Bay kind of sits above most of these other squads, and that includes Columbus. The Lightning have incredible depth. They have extremely good 5v5 play. They have a killer power play, and on any one occasion, they can easily drop six or seven goals against you like a hot knife through butter. But surprisingly, in a series in which Tampa Bay had a 2-1 lead, some of it a little bit fortunate, some of it really hard-earned because this has been a pretty grindy series, Columbus actually played its most even game against this really talented Lightning squad, and there wasn't a whole lot that actually occurred between the two teams. This was arguably Tampa Bay's most average to mediocre effort, and I feel like if you're John Cooper, you're probably not super thrilled with how it essentially broke down, but you will take a 2-1 result that pushes your series lead to 3-1. Columbus, I think, did a really admirable job of trying to frustrate and get to that low slot area and create offense wherever they could. It's just, you know, breaking down the lightning is extremely difficult. And when you do get this few opportunities, if you just shank the shot wide like we saw with uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois on a really difficult opportunity, he tried to shoot far post and just barely missed, you know, you're not going to get those chances more than once. Columbus, to their credit, I think did about as well as you could expect, but this series ultimately looked like it was always going to be Tampa Bay's to lose, and that's, that. I mean, that was the case last season, but I feel like it's even more so now that uh, Tampa Bay has a stronger roster, Columbus has weakened, and we've already seen Columbus struggle to really maintain uh, its bearing against a really extreme, high-pressure, high-intensity Tampa Bay forecheck. Columbus has just logged way too many miles on those skates, and I feel like the limitations of their system, which tries to be a trap-and-counter system, is starting to be exposed by a team with all of the cross-seam movement, passing, and elite goal-scoring talent that you could possibly ask for. Assuming that the Lightning advance, which seems like the most likely outcome, I think the other likely outcome is that Philadelphia ends up beating the Montreal Canadiens, and they will face Tampa Bay in the second round. Now, I I think that that would be an interesting series for a couple of reasons. The Flyers, for me, are a bit of a closet cup favorite. I think that they are a genuine contender, and when they're at their best, they're playing great hockey, but 
in this series against Montreal, we've started to see some cracks, maybe. Like, this version of the Flyers just hasn't been as good as they were during the regular season. And, you know, tomorrow they have another game against Montreal. They're up in the series 2-1, but I feel like the grip on that particular lead is actually fairly minimal. This is not a particularly great performance from Philadelphia, and if they go into a second round against the Tampa Bay Lightning, I really don't know if they have that much of a chance. I mean, Carter Hart would have to stand on his head, and you'd have to get some really monster performances from guys like Sean Couturier, Travis Konechny, and a few other players to really get a firmer grip. Their blue line's been pretty good. I think Travis Sanheim and Ivan Provorov have had very strong series. Phil Myers is uh, the best Myers defenseman in the NHL. I think he has also been very good, but... I, I don't know. That is going to be a very tough challenge for them because they go through periods of play where they just look very detached, where they aren't really mobile, they're not skating a whole lot, very passive zone defense, and I, I think that they've given Montreal a lot more opportunities to get back into games than they honestly should be. It's very hard to defensively shell up, especially when you've got a lead, and Philadelphia has tried to do that from time to time, but I think the bigger issue with that team is that Tampa Bay really doesn't know how to take a shift off. They kind of have a constant pressure thing going on. And sure, you know, Tampa Bay makes mistakes like any other team. And of course, they can't always keep up an insanely frenetic pace for the entire 60 minutes. They will have shifts where they slow down and you're able to exploit those opportunities. But because of how much depth that team has and how well, generally speaking, they handle their matchups, they expend less energy to get better results overall, which means that I think the Flyers would have to work even harder than they already are against a pretty tough Habs team. If Montreal turns it around in this series and somehow makes it to Tampa Bay, I think you're going to see a similar series to what you see between Columbus and Tampa Bay. Although I think Columbus tends to play a much more defensive game. I think if the Habs go, go through, it's going to be a lot more expansive. There's going to be a lot more stretch plays. And the Canadians are going to have to really lean heavily on Carey Price to try and keep them in it. Because I think Tampa Bay is the kind of team that can just gash a, a more defensively porous squad like Montreal. Both the Habs and Blue Jackets have very similar issues of having some really talented young players, but not a whole lot of offensive depth and goal scoring outside of that. And that's going to be a serious issue against a team like Tampa Bay, in which there just aren't many squads in the NHL that really match up and handle that kind of thing pretty well. The only teams that could really complete, compete with Tampa Bay are, are in the Western Conference, in my opinion, and I feel like that's just not going to go over big for either one of Montreal or Philadelphia. There's also a chance uh, that I'll talk a little bit later about the Bruins being a potentially uh, powerful Tampa Bay killer, but I don't know if that's going to happen. I think the Lightning are just too good in this limited bracket structure, and it may be very difficult for anyone in the East to match up to a team with this much offensive talent and so much defensive resilience. If Vasilevsky can even be average, I think that's going to be a serious pain in the butt for anyone who has to face that squad. Up next, we'll talk about the other series that's ongoing between Colorado and Arizona, and Colorado, of course, is one team that I have pegged as a potential challenger to Tampa Bay's dominance within this uh, playoff structure. Earlier in tonight's show, you heard me talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning being the NHL's best team, especially in this playoff bracket. But, of course, there are a couple of teams that I think might come close to Tampa Bay or at least be genuine challengers. And we got to see one of those challengers absolutely eviscerate the Arizona Coyotes 7-1 tonight. I am, of course, referring to the Colorado Avalanche, one of the strongest contenders in this entire uh, playoff run because there just aren't that many teams that compare with Colorado's depth skill and speed. Jared Bednar has Colorado playing at an extremely high level and that's just a very tough team to try and surmount. I think the Avs are genuinely a strong strong choice to be a cup favorite. 
Uh, and they're one of the few teams that I think could match up favorably to a squad that plays the same frenetic and frantic pace like Tampa Bay does. In previous seasons, I thought maybe Colorado's defensive woes and potential lack of depth scoring would be an issue, but in this game, we kind of saw everyone on Colorado's roster contribute in some capacity. The addition of Kale McCarr on the back end really adds a lot of dynamic offense to their entire structure, including their power play, and I think that that is a big difference from what we saw last season where he was just a young rookie. Now he's had a full season of experience, more or less, and he's had a chance to you know, more further integrate himself into the entire uh, power play and even strength team uh, team play and structure for a team like Arizona this is just a horrible matchup I mean you you couldn't ask for a worse first round opponent than the Colorado Avalanche this is a squad that is built to tear you apart piece by piece and wear you out with the amount of pace and uh, cross sea movement that they're able to create Colorado has really had to contend with Darcy Kemper being an absolutely brick wall throughout most of the series but tonight they finally got to him and this was where we saw an absolute avalanche of goals. I would normally see myself out after such a bad pun, but I think that an avalanche of goals is probably how I would describe this game because, you know, you, you finish off a touchdown in the game and I think you're doing pretty well. This is the Colorado I think a lot of us expected to see, especially against a weaker opponent like the Yotes. No offense to Arizona, but they're just not at the stage where they're really competitive against a team that is as deep and as dangerous and as fast as the Avs are. Now, Colorado has had issues scoring goals, and it wasn't just Kemper. I think there were some... Uh, missed opportunities and finishes that just weren't quite there as far as details are concerned but tonight that dam finally broke and if it is going to be a sign of things to come this is a dangerous avalanche team that i think no one wants to face their most likely next opponent in round two is going to be the vegas golden knights and that's the only other team in this entire playoff run that i think other than tampa bay in the east is is capable of challenging them i think the avs are are the best team in the west but it's really close between them and the golden knights I, I think Vegas, for me, has a few question marks in terms of their goaltending and some of their defensive lapses, especially in the middle frame. For some reason, Vegas just seems to concede a lot of opportunities and goals against, which is kind of odd because typically this hasn't been a hallmark of their games as far as I know. I don't think that this was a thing that was in the regular season, but if it does become an issue as they go through the rest of this postseason and probably against the Colorado Avalanche, that's going to be a sucky thing because the Avs can hurt you really quickly. Any single mistake that you make against the Avs, especially on the penalty kill, is going to cost you, and I think that that is something that Vegas is going to have to be very careful with. They've managed to dominate most of the games against Chicago, and even in the one that they lost uh, yesterday, they still dominated that one. They just got stonewalled by Corey Crawford. So in terms of offensive production, I don't think that they're particularly worried about that, but I do think that they have to be concerned about Colorado's potent offense at both even strength and on the power play. That's a that's a team that you just don't want to tangle with, and I think that a guy like McKinnon can easily take over that series, and that's not to mention guys like Landeskog and Rontanen who are equally talented in their own right. I probably shouldn't say equally because I think that's a little bit unfair to those two. I think that McKinnon at his best can just completely control a game like no other player in this league other than someone like Connor McDavid, but for the sake of argumentation, we'll just say that all of those guys are superstar forwards and can really put a hurting on you really quickly. I think McCarr adds another dimension, but what is kind of interesting is Vegas actually has a similar construction in terms of the way that they use their defensemen in more offensive attacking roles. Nate Schmidt and Shea Theodore have some similar traits to Kale McCarr, and they also have some superstar young forwards who will play a similar style to what the uh, what the Avs tend to roll with, which is a really fast counter, waves of successive pressure in the offensive zone, and guys like Mark Stone who can be really talented distributors, uh, transition experts, and goal scorers. 
McKinnon, Rontanen, and Landeskog versus Riley Smith, Jonathan Marcheseau, and Mark Stone is going to be a battle for the ages. At least, that's how things appear at this moment. I really don't see either of Arizona or Chicago pooling off upsets in these series. They're both down 1-3 to three games against their opponents, and I don't see a particular avenue where either of these squads is able to surmount their series deficits and come back. I just think that both Colorado and Vegas are too darn good, and I think that these are the best teams in the Western Conference by a fairly good margin. You know, we've got a couple of other games that are ongoing in the Western Conference, one of which I'll touch on in briefly uh, in a little bit, but even those teams, uh, St. Louis and Vancouver, um, Dallas and Calgary, these squads just don't quite have the same level of play and depth that Vegas and Colorado do. The sucky thing for the Avs and the Knights is that if they play each other in the postseason in the second round, which looks pretty likely, then yeah, they're going to tenderize each other, and I don't know whoever comes out of that series is, is going to have to deal with a pretty difficult opponent in one of St. Louis, Dallas, Calgary, uh, or I guess Vancouver. Now, the thing about dealing with one of those teams is Vegas and Colorado are definitely a much more high-octane offense, but Dallas is starting to turn up the heat. The Blues are the Blues. I don't really, I don't think that they're a particularly great team in the sense that I view them sort of like LA of a couple of years ago where they create a lot of offensive events, but I don't know how much of them are more than just greasy opportunities rather than a lot of really highly skilled uh, very good, well-worked offensive opportunities. It's not that St. Louis doesn't create these opportunities at all. I just don't think that they do it in the same way that Colorado and Vegas do consistently. And so I, I think that the Blues are a strong team, but not that strong. Uh, and Vancouver, of course, I think is a team that you could very much take apart if you start to stretch the play and really put them under pressure. They've had some really great standout performances from guys like Bo Horvat, Elias Petrosian, and Quinn Hughes, as well as Jacob Markstrom. But if you start to silence those guys, it's going to be tough for Vancouver's depth players to step up. The Flames are an odd one just because I don't really know what to think of Calgary other than that they can be decent and they have some quality depth forwards, but I really feel like on the whole they're not going to be able to withstand the force of a sustained pressure from teams like Colorado and, and Vegas. Even the Blues in the series might be able to ding them up and hurt them pretty good because we're already seeing Dallas putting a lot of real pressure against them. I didn't think Calgary was particularly great against the Jets, but they did enough to get the win and wait for Winnipeg to make those mistakes. So, you know, they have a, a significantly harder task ahead if they beat Dallas and advance to the next round. Closing us out, I'll talk a little bit about Boston and Carolina, as well as a couple of potential matchups that we have upcoming tomorrow. But before that, I thought I'd take us back to Winnipeg. Being without Jets hockey is leaving me with a little bit of a taste for something a bit more local. And during quarantine, we're always looking for new distractions and things to occupy our time because we can't go out. I grew up reading comic books, watching anime, reading manga, all of that fun stuff. And I also love to support local artists. If you're like me and all of those things are up your alley, then you should check out Your Story Transmedia, a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and game publisher based in Winnipeg. They're currently launching a line of comic books with their flagship comic, The River Knows, set in Winnipeg during the 1960s. It's best described as Sin City meets X-Files meets Mad Men, and features plenty of supernatural, spooky, and noirish detective shenanigans to keep any reader enthralled. You'll even catch a sight of Portage in Maine. Your Story will also be launching their new fun-for-all-ages game Alien Machine Glow in the very near future. If you'd like to find out about Alien Machine Glow or any of Your Story's other comic books, be sure to visit them at yourstory.ca to check out their ebooks or purchase their limited edition, high-quality, first printing run of their 85 by 11 magazine-style comics. Use one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Again, that is JETS2020 to get 15% off your order.
closing us out tonight, I was going to have one particular story about Carolina versus Boston, but while I was recording, things kind of took a turn in that game, and really in the entire series. Uh, Carolina was not particularly good tonight. I think that early on in this game, what we saw was like a really tight defensive matchup between uh, Carolina and Boston, who just weren't giving an inch in the slot. No one was getting shots on goal. It was just a really boring defensive slog, and I feel like some people love that kind of stuff, but I think we all enjoy offense, uh, goal scoring, and attacking. We like that kind of stuff. Now, let's all do credit to those two teams. I think they did exactly what their game plan was supposed to be, but what was kind of funny was Justin Williams got the first Kane shot on goal. He just sort of threw it from the point, and it somehow found its way in, and that's kind of how Carolina just sort of kept on going throughout the entire game. There was a lot of end-to-end stretch play, but then there would be a defensive shutdown and the the opposing team would counter, and, you know, it just kind of kept going back and forth. And then, you know, the Bruins would get a power play here and there, get really dangerous opportunities, but then nothing happened and nothing came of it because, I guess, uh, Reimer and company got a bit lucky. Ultimately, though, they they had a 2-0 lead heading into the third period and everything looked hokey-dory for them, and then things just kind of fell apart. It looked like Carolina totally ran out of gas, and they totally collapsed. Um, Charlie McAvoy had a real high hit with an elbow against uh, Jordan Stahl and took him out of the game, but there was no penalty awarded for that. And then all of a sudden, Carolina just started giving up goals left and right, and it looked like they just could not keep up with Boston's pace. I think in the entire third period, they did not record a single shot on goal, while Boston had like 17. They weren't cheap shots on goal either. I mean, Boston was putting a lot of offensive pressure against this Carolina team, and just sort of ground them down. This is the kind of thing that we've seen Boston do to a lot of really quality squads, and it just looked like Carolina ultimately ran out of steam. It's crazy to think that a team with the kind of depth and offensive ability that Carolina has got stifled so heavily by that great Boston team, but we've seen Boston at its peak do this to, again, really top teams. It sets up an interesting matchup because the rest of the East is kind of a meat grinder. You've got a team like the New York Islanders, who are very physical, who are capable of of keeping a really aggressive forecheck and grinding out goals the dirty way. You've got the Lightning, who have a lot of speed and skill, but who also have quite a bit of physicality and are able to get into those greasy, dirtier areas and grind out offense in the same way, just with a lot more high-end goal-scoring skill. And then you've got a couple of other teams, like Philadelphia and Washington, who aren't really afraid to get physical, but Washington, of course, is probably on the way out. And Philadelphia, even if they make it through... You know, they have to go through the buzzsaw that is Tampa Bay, and uh, that's just not going to go too well, I don't think. So I would anticipate Boston and Tampa Bay being your Eastern Conference finalists. With how these series have been going, I think whoever survives with the most healthy players is probably going to be the cup champ, because everyone is just pummeling the crap out of each other in all of these series. I feel like they've all ratcheted up the intensity quite a bit, and guys are just getting taken out left and right. This has been a real grind despite it being a fairly short playoff season, so... Yeah, it's just a rough thing, and I I don't know who's going to make it out. Tampa Bay might be able to do it, but I could also see a team like Boston or the Islanders stifling them and really frustrating them with intensely physical play that somehow gets to them. Whichever team survived the Western Conference Finals is going to have a heck of a matchup coming out of the East, man. This is is an interesting playoff picture, and I feel like whoever wins is just going to be so battered by the end of it. That's going to wrap up our playoff coverage for today. Be sure to check us out tomorrow for even more playoff recaps and stuff and probably a few more eliminations. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out our Locked On National podcast hosted by Sarah Avampato. Thanks again. Have a great night and go Jets go.